Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and there's only one show in town when it comes to sport in the North East and the country in fact today. Yes, if you haven't heard, I don't know where you've been. Dundalk are League of Ireland champions again. They've retained their title cracking game last night in Oriel Park when they got the better of their nearest rivals Shamrock Rovers by three goals to two. Four games to spare and they have the title. There's a big celebration planned at home in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about it for the next one. I'm joined on the show by match commentator Adrian Taff. On the line is Dundalk captain Brian Gartland and one of the club's biggest fans. He's worked with the club over the years. Frankie Waters is with us as well. You're all welcome to the show. I'll say hello to Brian first. Hello, Brian. Hey, lad. Thanks very much for uh, stepping out because I, I, you're in. You're actually in at the moment. Yes, the team. Yeah, I'm standing on the treadmill here. I forgot I forgot it's due to take this call. So the lads are in the pool. I don't have the, the luxury of that after not playing last night. So I'm on the treadmill at the moment. Yeah. This is even better. Brian Gartland on the treadmill the night after they win the title. Just stay there, Brian, for a second because we want to remind everybody about those glorious moments last night. And here it is, the three Dundalk goals. Duffy's corner kick again from this left-hand side. Floated in and it's Matt. And it's in the back of the net. And it's Sean Wonderful header. Sean Hall powers that in on 28 minutes and Dundalk lead in what might be the title decider. An absolute fantastic header by Sean Hall. We said about Duffy's deliveries, that was on the money. Now it's Jamie McGrien from the right-hand side. Dane Massey, McElhaney, will Dundalk push for another one before the break? They have about 10 seconds. In it goes, and it's in the back of the net! And it's Robbie Benson! What a goal, Benson. Magnificent finish by Robbie Benson! Wonderful cross in, teased in, shaped in, and Robbie Benson heads past Adam Manis, and Dundalk were brave enough to go for another goal, and they've got another goal, and Dundalk lead by two goals to nil. What a goal. Wonderful, wonderful header by Benson, but the build-up play in front of us here in front of the stand was fantastic. Patrick McElhaney finds Michael Duffy. Oh, oh my word! Michael Duffy! And Vinnie Bear punches the air! And Dundalk's two-goal lead is re-established! And Dundalk 
are again a step closer to the league title. Sometimes there just are no words. What an absolute screamer had a grace any league in any country in the world. Covey picked up the ball, drove inside, and from all 30 yards, smashed one into the top corner. Man is stranded. That's as good as goals you're going to see anywhere. Wow. Michael Duffy's gallery of goals has been enhanced even further here tonight with another wonderful, wonderful, wonderful strike. Michael Duffy's gallery of goals. He has words at will, our man Adrian Taff, hasn't he? John Flanagan on co-commentary there. Brian Gartland, as you listen back there to the goals, you actually were in the stand, of course, yourself last night watching it. Is it so different to being out there? Are you, are you, are you more anxious or how are you feeling? Um, well, I suppose I was, I was on the bench last night, wasn't right. stand, So you're, you're more involved, I suppose, than if you're in the stand. But, uh, yeah, you, it's, it's harder watching things like that than, than playing against... Um, when you're when you're playing, you just get on with it. You you, you can control aspects of the game, but uh, I suppose when you're when you're not on the pitch, you, you can't. So it's a bit harder. But um, saying that, last night, you know, listen, the league was the league was was done. It was just you know had to be finished off, sort of thing. So there was a, a freedom and a, a a lack of pressure on on us last night. So compared to other, I suppose, big games, you know, where you need to win to win the league, um, the lads had that bit of freedom, and, and you can see that in the performance. Yeah, so. so you felt that there's actually Dundalk felt that type of that they could you know do as they wished and and push on and win the game it was three two in the end but look at you were in control for most of it a little bit nervy maybe towards the finish how many league titles is this for you Brian uh, it's the fifth and sixth my God and uh, and and the story of you coming to Dundalk is a very interesting one you were at Ported Down had just left Ported Down back in 2013 was it. Yes, uh, the summer of 2013, I, I left the club and wanted to come back down and play in the league down here. And uh, I trained with Shells for a few weeks, and I was in with Drogheda for a couple of couple of sessions and that. And then, um, you know, I was sort of deciding between them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, just the same day, I got calls from both of them, uh, and I got off the phone to them and I said I'd get back to them. You know, and I had a voicemail from Stephen Kenny, so out of the blue, and um, yeah, that was. That was that. You made the decision then. Stephen convinced you to come to Dundalk. And at that stage, it really was an aspiration, wasn't it? It was the start of this wonderful journey. Um, yeah, I see the lads coming out to come talk to me here. And interview, um, yeah, it was. That was the start of it. And I suppose that was the reason. I always say that was the reason I signed that season. I think lads were, were fourth or fifth in the league at that stage. But they were close to... I suppose pushing on, and and you could see the what they were trying to set up here. So it was that um, sort of little half chance silverware of success. Yeah, that you you took yeah. you, you took that chance, and look at look at how it's paid off handsomely for you. How does this group compare to previous teams that have won the league? Uh, I suppose compared to our previous teams. Yes. Everything. This this team. Uh, I suppose the one thing I say is the squad is is by far the best you see. It's probably the best squad you've ever seen in the League of Ireland. Um, you can take anybody in and out, and the, the performance, the standard, and the result doesn't drop, uh, and that's been shown throughout the whole year. Um, and I suppose that's that's why we're in the position where we are, where we're mid to end of September and the league's finished. Mm. And of course, you have the League Cup in the in the shopping bag. The League Trophy's in there now. Is there room for the FAI Cup? <laughs> There's room for that, and the uh, cup and Antlers else going to throw in. We want everything. That's, that's, how, it, that's how it goes here. We're, we're greedy and we're hungry. So uh, yeah, anything that's going, we we want winner. 
Adrian Taff wants to say something to you. First of all, congratulations, Brian, and to the rest of the squad as well. Fantastic achievement to have done it the way you've done it. I was just wondering how much of this season, and like it's been another record-breaking season for Dundalk, I think that's uh, 23 games undefeated, a new club record, but how much of the motivation this season, I know there's the personal hunger to win trophies and to win medals, but how much of the motivation came from trying to do it for uh, Vinnie Perth in his first season as a manager? Um, yeah, listen, we're all in it for each other, you know, it's for everyone. I've got to remember, like, every year, I suppose I said this last off-season, every year we've got our biggest players leaving, whether it was Richie Tell, Ronan Finn, Daryl Horgan, uh, the list goes on, you know, over the years. And there's always been questions asked of the team. I suppose ask questions of, of everyone that's still there. It's sort of, I suppose, it, it, uh, in your head, it's a little bit of a challenge. It's someone talking you down saying, oh, they were putting us up there, you know, whoever it was. So it was the same with Stephen Kenny days. And um, listen, like all those players, they're some of the best players in the league. He's one of the best manager that the league of our country. But we want to prove that we've always said it's about the collective. It's not just about one person. And like I said, with the team there, you can you can rotate in and out any one player, and the team will still be successful. And um, I suppose stuff like that drives us on. You know, like. We just want to win. If you're not, if you're not in it to to win and be successful, you're at the wrong place. Um, so there's always that drive, and if you don't have that drive, you won't last here. The drive for five we heard about in GAA, and that's been achieved. What about Dundalk? How many are you going for now? There's only one year you didn't win a cock took it off you. You can go and do it again. I'm sure you believe next year with the squad you have and the position you're in. Yeah, that's that's the thing. We've set agents. You see a lot of teams that did well for a year or two, and then uh, the hunger or something there just just falls off behind. But whatever that ingredient is that we have in there, we just make sure we keep that, and we need to keep that. And that's always as well. You got to freshen it up with one, two, three new players, and and rotate it around. You know, because some lads will want to move on if they're not playing enough and different things. And you need to you need that competition and that element of freshness to to keep people on their toes, and and that sort of keeps it keeps the ship moving forward mm. I'll let you go because I know you're, you've stepped out and, and you are working there and you're building towards of course the semi-final of the cup in Sligo this coming weekend just one last thing whether the cup comes or not there's something else coming to your house very soon yeah I hope it's very soon I'm getting impatient now <laughs> um, she's, she's what five or six days overdue so um, yeah it's, it's all excitement in the house and we'll, we, we can't wait so um, yeah we don't don't mind whether it comes this week or next week once I suppose uh, mother and a baby are doing well we'll mm. be delighted yeah so Brona is just uh, on tenterhooks at the minute probably more so than the football if I could say that I know the day that's in it it's all about the football but we wish her and you uh, all the very best Brian over the, the coming days and you're one of life's really good guys and I'm absolutely delighted for you uh, and the team and the club and with the success that you've brought uh, to the North East it's been absolutely wonderful for the people of the town and the surrounding areas as well uh, good luck to you and good luck in Sligo the weekend and I'm sure we'll be talking again about more silverware and the new baby before the end of the season I hope so and uh, I suppose before I go just I suppose yourselves like there's great support on the radio the, you know there's great it's positive you know we don't get hammered and that by the local media and stuff like that and, and to the fans the last few weeks the last couple of months it's, it's been outstanding so I suppose we get all the plaudits and the thank yous and that so just to reciprocate that back to everyone um it, you know, it's really appreciated here and it, it is a drive behind us because it's great when you 99% of the people when you're out in town whether it's during the day or, or last night and 
it's just good will and good gestures and you know it's it's really humbling. Okay. It is. It's wonderful and it just shows you what sport can do for the people. And and, and that's what it's about. You guys deliver, but look what it means to the town and the people. It's it's sensational really. Away you go, Brian. Thank you so much for taking our call. Thanks, really. Take care, let's. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Brian Gartland there, Dundalk captain, waiting patiently, standing by on the other line. I suppose he's dying to get in. He's probably standing there saying, Will that Kelly fella ever come to me? Frankie Waters, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I left you a little while because I think there's a little delicacy in the air. Uh, yes, I kind of forgot to come home early last night. <laughs> uh, I was led astray. I, I always seem to fall in with bad company. Uh, After a while, you have to understand that you're the bad company. <laughs> there are people who would say that. There are people who would say that. <laughs> he never looks in the mirror. I don't know how he shaves that water as well, but he does anyway every, every day. Well, Frankie, how many times have we spoken in recent years? And, you know, each time it's been great and better and brilliant. Where does this rate? They're all special, but but I, I think there's some elements with this one. I mean, last time I spoke to you was November last year when Stephen Kenny had just left the club and a lot of concern about what was going to happen and what would this mean. But as I said to you at the time, the fundamentals were sound. The squad was there, the management team was there, both on and off the pitch. You know, and, and I'm delighted for Vinnie Perrot, absolutely delighted for Vinnie Perrot, and Rory and, and John and and the squad. And, and I agree fully with what Brian was saying. I think the core thing has been that squad and the squad rotation over the last number of weeks. You can change six, five, six of that team and they'll still go out and win. So, uh, you know, I think it's just very special for a lot of people, but it's everyone is special. Mm, the treble would be something else. Dundalk have done the treble before. I, I'm, I, no, I should Have know they? the answer to that. I, I, I can't remember who he did this particular treble. That, no. I, I know Jim McLaughlin did it with Derry. Yeah. That's the only one, yeah. 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 Shells yeah. might have done it as well, I think. No, no Shell no. were in there. Derry, Derry, Derry the only league of Ireland. The only club the to do it. There you go. And, you know, I had it in my mind that Dundalk did actually win the treble, but this would be history if you go on and win the FAI Cup, Frankie. It will be history. Yeah. It'll be the first time. So, well, plus uh, Derry, the only other team did, and instantly under Jim McLaughlin, they did it too. So another yes. um, Dundalk connection there. Uh, yeah, it'll be brilliant. It's going to be tough though against Sligo. Um, you know, but, but I just wouldn't underestimate Sligo in any way. And uh, it's just back to won the title last night, and it's just back to the same routine again today, as you heard from Brian in training yep. today. Mm. Oh, they're absolute model professionals, yeah. and they do their business absolutely right, and they're examples for everybody else to follow. The other thing about the the cup is, let's say I, I don't want to preempt things, and you're absolutely right. Sligo will be uh, difficult for them because Sligo are, are very good at home. Um, would you prefer Bows or Rovers in the final? If you'd asked me that before last night, I probably would have said I prefer Bose. But I have to say, one of the things about last night, this is good coming from me, I have to admire what Bradley did last night and what Rovers did last night. They came and played football. It was a great advertisement for the League of Ireland. Mm. There were great goals, a great atmosphere. So, I mean, a cup final against Rovers really would be a special occasion, no mm. question. Mm. Because the last time Rovers won it in 87, they beat Dundalk in 87. So, uh, Maybe we need to sort that little issue out. Of that. <laughs> he doesn't forget, forget, does he? Oh, listen! Do you see that fella? Never cross Frankie Waters. I'll tell you that for as long as you live, he'll oh, hold oh, it. Long memory, long memory, Jerry. <laughs> uh, Not long enough to remember last night, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> those bits of last night, but I need to see those goals again. Um, <laughs> 
it's the uh, short term memory is trouble with the long term no bother at all he knows none whatsoever Jerry two, th- two things just in a, in a general yeah. sense and I know you've been involved behind the scenes in your time and you are a man who's very good strategically two points to make here um, the ground keeps coming up and in the programme notes last night the boss there said he wouldn't mind being involved with the new stadium now Conor Hoyd the Drogheda chairman I have to say floated this a couple of weeks ago about building stadia north and south and loud that they should be multi-purpose but surely that has flown Frankie the GAA will not put money into a stadium if it's to be shared in any way yeah, I, I just make a general point first of all I, I really think the days in a country of this size of building stadiums uh, for purely for one sport really doesn't make a great deal of sense if you look at geography yeah. and population mm. and everything else uh, but I do think that, that the issue about the GA stadium probably that, that board has flown I suspect mm. uh, I, I, I do know Dundalk did send out feelers at an, at an early point you know that they would be interested in talking but that didn't get anywhere um, you know 5,000 seater stadium in Dundalk 5,000 seater stadium in Drada you know um, with all due respect to, to the GA how often are they going to fill it yes um, you know and there's the rugby club as well here in Dundalk would have I'm sure been interested in getting on board so, but I, but I think that that that's that's gone, and I think the question then comes down to you know uh, what's going to happen in Oriel Park, um, and and again, if you look at last night with the, the the away accommodation for the for the away supporters is abysmal in Oriel Park. It really is abysmal. Uh, we were up in Derry last weekend in that new stadium, and it was excellent, an excellent facility. Admittedly, I think the British government partly paid for that. Yes, um, but but you know it just show, and I think that's about a four or five thousand seater stadium up there, and it was just brilliant. Um, and that's what the Derry supporters were saying to us. You know, God, great feeling between Derry and Dundalk supporters, but they were saying, God, Oriel Park is is just awful to go to. Uh, but but I'm going on about this. I think what has happened is correct. You you put the money into the team. And you develop the team, you develop that winning habit because if you're not winning on the pitch, well, there's not going to be anyone watching you mm. off the pitch, mm. you know. So it's a chicken and egg, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a chicken and it egg. It really is. But look, look, let, let's part that. I hear what you're saying that. And just the, the other thing is, Europe this year didn't make it through. Uh, Linfield went very close. They were the only Irish side to make it very close there. Yeah. You take it that this is now priority for Dundalk next season to really try and make the group stages of, well, the Champions League is a tough one, but perhaps the Europa League? Yeah, I, I think we've got about the most difficult draw we could have got in, in each round. I think people under, underestimated Riga. Riga subsequently showed just how good they were in subsequent rounds. Uh, the only reason they weren't seeded was that they were effectively a new club. Um, we did well to get past Riga. Quarabeg, uh, and I was in Baku. Um, yeah, I mean, just the sheer resources that that, that, that club had, and, and much the same with Bratislava. It's, it's an enormous step up when you go and yeah. see the resources these have and you're, you're looking at teams that can afford to pay a million or two million or three million for players but uh, you know I, I think we are capable of getting to the group stages of the Europa League again I, I think the Champions League is a, is a for another day really for another day you know but I, I think we can and I think you're right one of the big priorities next year is to try and get to that group stage or at least put yourself in a position of the final qualifying game where you know you're, you're in with a shout 
on the on the group stages. Okay, we'll leave that one for today and let that develop as time goes on. Congratulations again, Frankie, to you and all the Dundalk supporters who follow them loyally through thick and thin and are enjoying a wonderful halcyon uh, time in the club's history at the moment. And good luck on Sunday. Is it Sunday yet? Yeah, the Cup uh, yeah, against yeah, Ligerous. Uh, you know, we look forward to seeing Derby United back in the Premier Division. Well, please, God, with the playoffs, they have a chance anyway. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and be delighted to see them back. Thank you, Frankie. All Thank right, you for Gary. taking our call today. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks All a million. Right. Adrian Tav, match commentator last night through the season with Dundalk. It didn't start particularly brightly for the new regime. I think there was something like 12 points behind Shamrock Rovers at one stage early on. But 13, yeah. Was it 13? 13 yeah, yeah, I had that. Yeah. Now, Dundalk had two games in hand on them, yes. but they had to be won at the end of the day, you know. Um, you'd rather the points in the bag, you know, that old cliche, you know. But yeah, Dundalk are just looking like their opening two games were draws. And then they beat UCD and then drew again with Shamrock Rovers and went on a four-game winning run and then lost lost two in a row against uh, St Pat's and against Sligo Rovers now to be fair David Sheehan commentated on both of those games so it may well be his fault he, he's a Jonah Sheehan isn't yeah, he that's, that's, what right. that's, that's what everybody's saying in the dog <laughs> they didn't want to see him back again and he didn't get back and they've won the league but uh, but yeah sorry David yeah. <laughs> we don't mean that this jester here look at he's just trying to have a little niggle there you he's know, done he's, a lot of draw you'll get a yellow season, card he's you'll done get okay. a yellow card here you'll get a black card I don't know whether which, <laughs> that's right, black cool. yellow red um, but uh, but yeah, look at apart from that wobble, and and it was it, it caused a bit of consternation early on and, and uncertainty because it was Vinnie Pert new into the job, and all of a sudden people were analysing every little thing, his conduct inside the technical area, you know. And Vinnie is very demonstrative in there, and he's on the he's on the edge of the technical area all the time, offering instruction to players, and people are are looking at that and thinking that's not the way it should be done, that's not what, not the way Stephen Kenny necessarily did it, but it's Vinnie Pert's way, and it just took a, a while for that to settle in and sink in. But bear in mind, last season. Under Stephen Kenny, Dundalk started with a bit of uncertainty as well, you know. So it can happen, you know, especially at the start of a season too. You know, a mm. few new players coming in. Dundalk had some bad injuries at the start of the year too with Patrick McElhaney and Robbie Benson. And, you know, so uh, I, I, I'm absolutely delighted for Vinnie Perth, I have to say. I found him a joy to work with, I have to say, from my perspective. And um, very open, answers every question, very straight in general terms and um, I'm abs- I'm absolutely delighted and I know that most of the people in the press I know Brian offered a little bit of uh, thanks to the press yes. or whatever the local media or whatever and I know everybody locally are absolutely delighted for Vinnie Perth because he's sort of uh, one of the gang in a way you know and he's been yes. around for a good many years and everybody's delighted to see and him and it's well, hard you know. and difficult to step into the boots of a man like Stephen Kenny who's regarded as a deity but he's done it and he's won well, and isn't congratulations that, isn't that to him the other point and I'm making as well about the uncertainty at the start of the season everybody's looking at and saying this is Alex Ferguson leaving Manchester United Stephen Kenny same thing and Vinnie Perth has come in and he's uh, going to be David Moyes you know but uh, thankfully for Vinnie and for Dundalk that's not how it turned out Still could be uh, a massive massive see it's massive already for Dundalk you know two trophies and the league is the one of course the one to win you have the best team but the FAI Cup is there and Sligo away on Sunday and that's going to be interesting in itself and then the finale against Bowes or Sligo uh, Bowes or Shamrock Rovers should I say uh, if Dundalk come through at the weekend Anyway Adrian Taft thank you so much for bringing us the commentary all season on a historic season for Dundalk and good luck uh, the weekend in the west of Ireland You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio 
Radio. Uh, a fabulous weekend with show tours at the Tralee Oktoberfest on the October Bank holiday weekend. How would you like to go there? Three nights B&B at the world-renowned Brandon Hotel and three four-course dinners and cabaret and dancing each night with the acclaimed Joe Dolan show as it was, Richie Sampson's Drifters, Cleaner Hagen and more besides. You can book at showtours.ie or 01253 That's the number. Have a wee listen to this, please. Yes, that's the four tops and you'll hear lots of their music at Oktoberfest. Here's the question. Where is Acapulco? That's the question today on Late Lunch. To get your name into the hat, five, one each day we'll get through to the finale on Friday and then we'll draw a winner for that overall prize. Two people to the Oktoberfest. Three nights, dancing, dinners, you name it. Answers as soon as you can. Where is Acapulco? To 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. After the break, it's Vetchinade Kelly. These are the numbers you need for the next while on Late Lunch. Well, you always need them, so have them handy. If you want to call the station, it's 1850-715-958. And don't forget, the WhatsApp or text number is 086-1800-658. So get in touch with us on those numbers if you have questions for our vet, Sinead Kelly, who's in the house again this afternoon. Sinead, really good to see you again. Thanks, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for joining me. We've just had a call uh, from a listener to say uh, that two cats were dumped at their door about 12 months ago. Okay. They keep disappearing, but one of them had kittens but didn't arrive back with them and the second cat then landed back with five kittens. Okay. If we get them spayed with the vet, it costs a lot of money and then they might get killed on the road. But somebody said there is a time for cats to be spayed. What time is it? When should you get them spayed? Uh, okay, well, when you get a kitten, I mean, normally, um, the age we have normally advised for spaying is about five to six months of age. Um, now, I would probably have a chat with your vet if you're getting a new kitten because there's a lot of debate now recently they're introducing early neutering of cats to prevent early pregnancies um, and some vets are, are going with the spay in them at two months as long as they're two kilos in weight but the best thing to do with a kitten is have a chat with your vet get registered get your vaccines and have a chat about neutering um, but neutering is very very important because as that caller has found out very quickly cats are very very fertile they can have litter after litter after litter and then you have a huge problem with lots and lots of cats if she's finding the cost of neutering uh, prohibitively expensive she can contact some of the Animal Rescue Societies, um, uh, Draw Down the Rescue or, or um, you know, some other organisations and find out about getting some support and maybe some vouchers and things like that and they can do some, there are kind of trap release neuter programmes. So there are things that can be done to, to get that sort yeah, of because thing. Because five, you know, fair juice to them for uh, looking yeah, after exactly. five small yeah, kittens yeah, that a exactly, mum has returned yeah, with yeah. and there is help, as Sinead said there, but it is important to say to get them spayed because... Definitely, definitely. They just get pregnant very easily and very quickly. Okay, hope that answers your question. Thank you for calling in. Here's the next one to us just now. My dog won't eat nuts unless there is milk added, but someone told me that milk is bad for a dog. Is this right? Right, okay. It's Milk can cause problems. So not in all dogs, but some dogs um, almost have a little bit of lactose intolerance. So if you give some dogs milk, it'll give them an upset tummy, maybe some diarrhoea, some vomiting. So I would tend to advise staying away from milk. They don't they don't need it as a dietary supplement. If you're wanting to make the food a bit more palatable, sometimes just adding some hot water is, is just enough. If, however, your dog is taking the nuts with the milk and having no gut upset, well, you could probably carry just on. Keep you know, just keep going, going as you are. That. But if you're noticing diarrhoea, upset tummies, then, then I would stop it because a lot of dogs won't tolerate it very well. 
as an addendum, you're getting two for the price of one here, listener, whoever you are, I will ask it. Could you also ask Sinead, Jerry, about bones for dogs to keep their teeth clean? What type of bones? Yeah, your best bet is to go and get a big, big, you know, a marrow bone or a big ham bone, knuckle bone, one of the big, really solid ones that they can't physically splinter up or crunch into smaller pieces because small bone fragments, chicken bones, pork ribs, things like that will cause huge problems. They'll cause problems in the esophagus and the stomach and the small intestines and we regularly remove fragments of bone from dogs' intestines um, under major surgery when they have an obstruction. So go with a really big, solid ham bone, marrow bone, knuckle bone, something like that. So that's, that's quite useful for, for getting their teeth cleaned. We are going on holidays for the first time without our dog. Will you ask Sinead what I should look for when considering a kennel? Okay, uh, well, you should phone up and ask, can you come and visit? And they should let you visit. If they don't want you to visit, I wouldn't go to that kennels. Uh, And really what you're looking for is that the dog would have a kind of an indoor kennel area um, where you can bring their own bed or they have a bed provided by the kennels that they have, you know, obviously facilities for food and water and that the, the kennel would have an outside run area so that there's a little area attached to the kennel where the dog can go in and out and do poos and peas and have a little bit of, of, of space and independence and I would normally ask the kennels do they bring the dogs out for walks every day and normally I would encourage you know that they would do that um, or sometimes what kennels do they have an outside big exercise area where they bring the dogs out individually for exercise so I would go and ask for things like that I would ask them what their policy is when the dogs are sick do they bring them to their own vet or do they bring them to the client's vet um, you know and, and things like that and, and speak to the owner and get a bit of a feel for the place and you'll know yourself the place should look clean it should look immaculate um you know you should like the look of it if you get any bad vibes then don't go there sound advice I, I never thought I'd go visit like yeah, that's something oh, actually, I've yeah. never done I just accept but I've been very happy where yeah, I can yeah, messy over yeah, the years yeah. but that's a, a, a very oh, good recommendation yeah. um, my kitten looks like he has a rash and he's balding in certain areas of his body what okay. could be wrong okay it could be something like ringworm ringworm is very common in cats especially in kittens um, so I would definitely pop along to the vet uh, they can do a few tests uh, sometimes they can some, some species of ringworm will shine up under a fluorescent UV lamp um, others won't and so the vet might need to take a fur sample and send it off to the lab and in the meantime they might start the kitten on treatment for ringworm ringworm is a zoonosis so it can spread to people so uh, it's definitely worth going to the vet and getting the kitten treated for its own sake and for yours if it's not ringworm then there may be some other issue going on maybe some other parasite involvement like fleas or lice uh, less commonly allergy when, when really the kitten is probably too young for, for allergies in most cases so I'd say it's something ringworm or you're parasitic so you've got to go and get it checked out and important to mention that that it can be transferred from uh, your cat to humans Yeah, so as well. definitely mm. you need to have very good hand hygiene um, and, and get your hands nice and clean after handling the cat and definitely go and get treatment as soon as you can. I can see this next question raising its head in several households across the northeast and beyond as Christmas time approaches. Listen to this. My child is looking to get a small lizard for Christmas, but I'm putting him off continuously. He's insisting... I'm just presuming, like all animals, there are a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. Yeah, they are. And the problem is, I mean, there's, there's, there's several different issues to this. I mean, firstly, the trade in exotics pet, exotic pets is a disaster. Uh, so huge numbers of exotic animals die uh, when they're on the way to being imported into Ireland and the UK because they're imported from other countries where they have lived in the wild. Um, and that is the reality. And that's what happens. There's a huge amount of animal suffering involved in exotic pets. Some exotic pets are gre- bred in captivity. That's what we're told. 
The problem is that exotic pets are not meant to be pets. They are traditionally wild animals and it is really, really difficult to recreate a set of circumstances and an environment where they can be healthy. Um, And so, yes, there's a lot of work involved. There's also quite a lot of money involved and that you might have to get special heating equipment, lighting equipment, special um, facilities for the animal. And an animal like a lizard, I kind of feel personally, you don't get a huge amount back from that as a kind of interactive pet. And I mean, they're not there to be our pets that, you know, they don't have to give us anything back. But I often think it's an awful lot of work and money. And also, you know, it's a shame to have an animal like that as a captive um, for, for not a huge amount of feedback back from them. So, I mean, I would be very against exotic pets, very against reptiles and things like that. I just don't think they should be kept as pets. Um, so have a little think about it. And if you're prepared to do the investment and the money and the work, if you're prepared to deal with the ethics of it, which a lot of people I'm not, um, then, you know, you need to do a bit of research and investigate. But I mean, it may be if you don't want to go for something like a cat or a dog, if you don't have the time and the energy uh, uh, for, for, for a dog or a cat, have a look at something maybe like a guinea pig or something like that, which is just a little bit more manageable, a little bit easier to look at after a little bit more interactive and, and might cause fewer problems. And we'll give you back with a nip or two. Yeah, that's true. Potentially. That's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't beat a dog, can you, or a cat? No, like, no. For actually, you know, watch your time. And you're, you've yeah. been adamant over the years with us here that keeping a pet is a two-way process. Of course, you know, and it's all about the bond you form. And having said that, I've met plenty of clients that have a huge bond with their pet reptile. Um, but it depends what you're looking for, you know. And as I say, traditionally, if you're looking, I think it's great for children to have pets and learn about looking after them and learn about responsibility and to get that bond but it's great to see that bond and and I think maybe there's certain animals that that you get a better kind of relationship than than you do with others This next question you may have to go to the Supreme Court in the UK to get an answer it's a Brexit one Jerry. would Sinead know if Brexit comes in and there are restrictions on the borders will we be able to bring our pets in the car to Northern Ireland or across on the ferry to the UK? Well, this is it. All gets very complicated. I certainly um, the issue of going from the Republic of Ireland to uh, England, Wales, or Scotland. What will have to happen uh, currently at the moment? You just need to have a pet passport. You need to have your dog microchipped and rabies vaccinated. But from Brexit onwards, what you will have to do is you'll have to have a blood test that will have been taken to prove that your dog actually has active immunity to rabies. So that's going to be the case going from Republic of Ireland to Scotland, England, Wales, and nobody has quite answered what the case is going to be going from the. Republic to the north. I think they're just all trying to ignore it and not think about it. But strictly speaking, if they are going to have checks on the border, if they are going to implement it, yes, you're going to have to have a rabies blood test when bringing your dog from the south to the north. Now, probably what will happen uh, at the moment or after Brexit, the UK will become a third country, so there'll no longer be EU. So what will probably happen is that the UK and Ireland will reach an agreement whereby they will have the same animal health controls as we do at the moment. But that's not confirmed yet. So certainly if you're travelling on the ferry uh, over to, to mainland UK in the next wee while, go to your vet now and ask about getting a blood test taken for rabies immunity because that's what you're going to need. Uh, the, the issue with the North is a little bit more difficult to tell. I think we'll have to wait and see what they're, what they're talking about. And you could actually be turned back. You yes, could you could actually... actually turn back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually. When I um, brought Cleo over to the UK earlier on the summer when they had the original date for, for Brexit which was going to be at the end of June, I had to go and get Cleo blood sampled and tested to prove that she had rabies immunity because the danger was on the way back they wouldn't let her back in without the proof that she had immunity from rabies.
So interesting. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic yeah, advice there. Yeah. Here's the next one for you. Just come in. Remember the numbers again. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Jerry, I have a five-year-old German Shepherd female dog and she doesn't like eating her dog food, both canned food oh, and nuts. I can just see that person saying, help Sinead. What do you yes. do when you're in that scenario? Okay, well, first of all, I'm presuming the dog is fit and well and healthy and doesn't have vomiting or diarrhea and it's a good weight and there's no other health issues. Um, in that case, then I think what you probably have to do is is, is go back to basics. Um, maybe I mean if 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 you're not managing to get them to eat with a mixture of canned and dry food, you try different varieties. If you've tried all that, maybe go back to basics. Go back to your dry food with some hot water and some chicken mixed in the top, and see will they take it like that. And if you want to be really really strict, you keep as long as the dog is fit and healthy and a normal weight and no clinical signs. You put the food down fresh twice a day, and if the dog hasn't eaten it within half an hour, you lift it up and you put it down again twelve hours later and healthy dogs will eat now especially a German Shepherd I mean the smaller little fussy dogs can be a little bit more finicky and a bit more stubborn about it but normally a big dog will will eat eventually so I, I would persist and make sure there's no other health problems and then maybe you just have to be a bit strict and a bit brutal you see we give in the other thing you could start boiling a bit of chicken or buying some mincemeat <laughs> well I mean the, the problem is you can end up going to huge yeah um, costs an awful lot you know, it does it? Yeah. it does you know it does but as I say I would always do the chicken test as well if you give your dog a piece of chicken will he eat it if yeah. he eats it there's nothing wrong with Mm. he's just been a monkey I so remember Messi was off colour just as an aside yeah. lately and I think I was talking to you I gave you a call and you said try him on you know the special tin food for recovery yeah the after. ID or the gastro yeah. you know he thought he went to yeah, heaven yeah went to heaven Yeah, especially if they're used to dry food when they get a bit of tin food they just think it's amazing nearly at the metal yeah 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 absolutely absolutely okay hope that's of assistance to you Sinead is staying with us more questions yes this is your opportunity she's with us until around about 2.30 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text. Sinead Kelly is with us on Late Lunch. Now, I think in the years I've been working with you on our regular uh, veterinary advice, I don't think I've seen this question before. So here's a a little first for us. My dog is like a child as he has a favourite toy that he always has to have close by when he's sleeping, playing, anywhere he goes. I'm so worried in case he loses that one toy. We have others, but he pays no attention to them. It's quite an interesting thing. Clients often, um, when I'm working and we're admitting animals because they're sick and they're needing treatment, and the clients often get very worried and agitated and they say, oh, he must have his teddy or he must have this or he must have that. And um, we take the animal in with the teddy or whatever. And normally I find the animal isn't the slightest bit concerned by the teddy, which might be because they're in a strange situation. But there are certainly some dogs and they will be a little bit obsessed at one toy. Now, I mean, I think all you can probably do as if the child, as if the dog were a child. If you can go and get a spare one of that particular type of toy, if it still exists in the shops. If it doesn't, then I don't think there's a huge amount you can do. I think if stroke when it does go missing, you'll be able to replace it with another one. I, I wouldn't get too worried about it. I think the dog will be fine. I think the dog will be fine. So I wouldn't get too agitated. About don't get that. too hung up. Don't about get that. too hung up about it. No, I think people get very hung up about it. And I don't think it's a huge issue really. Okay, talking about missing the toy. Here's missing in terms of our feline friends. We have a tomcat. He's missing now for a number of weeks. He's gone missing before. Is this unusual for them to go missing for extra long periods? No, especially if he's an unuser tom, he'll be off seeing the ladies. So he'll be in no rush to come back. So he could be gone for several, several weeks. So, I mean, obviously you can't rule out something's maybe happened to him. So 
hopefully he hasn't come to any harm. I mean, obviously they can be hit by cars and, and, and things like that. But I wouldn't give up hope totally. I mean, I would put up ads on Facebook. I would put up ads in the local vets, in the local shops, in the local area, in case he's seen. Um, otherwise, don't give up hope. He, he may well come back. But definitely, if he's an unneutered male, then he'll go off as, as a kind of a romantic mission and he might be gone for quite a while. Last time Sinead was on with you, Jerry, she was talking about ticks, as you were. Mm. In the meantime, our dog had a tick and I did as recommended. Yeah. I, I thought I removed it, but now I look at the area and it looks a bit inflamed. Okay. How can I be sure that the tick is gone? Okay, you're probably best to pop down to your vet and they can have a look. Sometimes now, sometimes after you remove the tick, even if you remove it completely with the head and the mouth parts, you're left with a little kind of nodule behind, which is fine. If you can see something kind of black or very dark or you can feel a little kind of gritty thing under the skin, I would be suspicious the head might still be there. So pop to the vet and they'll be able to pop a little needle in it and remove it. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. But definitely pop down to the vet if, if you're in any doubt at all. But as I say, normally if there's the heads left behind, you can normally see a little bit there. And I say it looks black or dark. And what did you say the last time? Just come to that again, just to remind us, if you're doing this yourself. If you're doing best... it yourself, if you get a tweezers and twist the tick anti-clockwise as you're pulling. So you need to pull and twist anti-clockwise as you're doing that. And that encourages them to release their mouth parts. Your other option is just when you find the tick, uh, you go and get some um, medication, either a spot on or a spray from your own vet. And that'll make the tip tr- tick drop off in 24 hours. If you're walking your dog in areas uh, where there is long grass, you know, I would definitely go for prophylactic control. So there are either spot-ons you can get, sprays, or there's this Brevecto, which is fabulous, which you can take orally every three months. And that protects you from fleas and ticks kind of continually on, on a three-month basis. So definitely, and the ticks are everywhere. And now the autumn, the, the, in the spring and the autumn, the ticks go questing. They go looking for hosts. Um, so not just the animals, we ourselves, we can be at risk of picking up the ticks. So when you come in from the grass, check your legs, brush them down, because the ticks can spread Lyme disease and, and other illnesses and things like that. So definitely a good idea to, to get some kind of prevention in place there. We have a new baby in the house, says a late lunch listener. Congratulations to you. And I'm worried about the cat sitting on top of the baby and smothering it. Should I keep the cat outside now or in a totally separate room? Okay, this is real. My mum had this obsession when I had my first child 18 years ago. So it seems to be a kind of a a thing that people think about. Um, To my knowledge, no cat has ever smothered a baby. Um, In my experience, what the cat always loved doing when my little babies were little was they liked jumping into the Moses basket when the baby was gone and being in the little space where it was nice and cosy but as soon as the baby was brought into the Moses basket they were they were gone so I mean I think the worst that'll happen is the cat might sleep in the Moses basket beside your baby but they're not going to sleep on them cats and dogs they don't like standing or sitting on soft squishy things and that's what a baby is it's a soft squishy thing so I really don't think you're, you're under any risk of, of, of any problems from that point of view so and cats tend to regard babies with a little bit of suspicion because the babies keep producing funny noises and funny smells and sudden movements and, and cats aren't a great fan fan of that. So I think you're probably fine just to leave your cat as it is. Thanks Sinead. The rabbit disease, I hope I'm reading this right, RHD2, is that right, has just been confirmed in six counties. Not yet in Lowther Mead, says a listener. Should I be worried about my pet rabbits? Is it harmful to humans? Yeah, no, as far as we know, it's not harmful to humans, but it is certainly harmful to to rabbits. So as I say, what you need to do is you need to go and have a chat with your vet um, about vaccination. um, And certainly you need to obviously make sure that you're, if you have rabbits, especially if you have rabbits that live out in the garden or outside, because in theory, wild rabbits could come in through through your garden. So you need to think about getting protection. So definitely go and have a chat with your vet. 
Are rabbits difficult to keep through? I know uh, when spring comes in and summer and autumn to a degree. What about when it does get a lot cooler and you have rabbits outdoors? Is it a challenge? It is a challenge and you preferably need to bring them inside, um, even at least to a conservatory or, you know, some kind of more heated environment because it can get very cold and they don't do very well in the cold. So rabbits really do better in some kind of indoor situation, especially in the winter time. Can Sinead please give us a quick run through? We've just got a new puppy, 12 weeks old, been with the vet to get the initial uh, inoculations, etc. What's the drill with a dog for a year? So in a year, what should okay, you do? Okay, so if you've had your first vaccine and your first chat with your vet, uh, your vet will have given the dog a little health check. So normally you'll have your first vaccine. Um, if you're 12 weeks of age, your second vaccine will be due in two weeks' time. And then if you wait about a week to two weeks after the second vaccine before you bring the dog outside to meet other dogs or to go out for a walk, because that's how long it takes to have full immunity. If your dog is um, one of the susceptible breeds, so a dog like a Rottweiler or a Doberman, they do sometimes advise a final parvo vaccination at about 16 to 18 weeks because they're very prone to, to picking up parvo. So uh, think about that if, if your dog is a susceptible breed. Otherwise, the other things to think about are worming. So really up to kind of um, six months of age, you're up to three months of age, rather your puppy should be getting wormed every two to three weeks. And then from three months to six months, getting wormed every, every month. Uh, and then from six months on, every three months. So that's a lot of worming and the reason for that is, is that um, all puppies are born with worms and then per- dogs can pick up worms very easily um, through the, the faeces that's lying on the grass. Um, so very important from a public health point of view um, because worm eggs in the faeces can um, cause very big problems with children and cause brain problems and blindness and things like that. So as a kind of a, a protecting your own family and as a protecting public health you should keep your dog very well wormed. So have a chat with your vet about the worming protocol. The next thing to think about, at about again depending on the breed, if it's a kind of small to medium size breed at about six months normally you'll go back to the vet for a little checkup and they'll have a chat with you about neutering and arranging to get the dog neutered unless you're particularly wanting to breed it I would tend to advise against breeding the world and Ireland is full to bursting with dogs that there are no homes for so I would urge against breeding um so definitely have a chat about neutering. Um, the other thing you want to have a chat with at vaccination time is about maybe going to training classes. So there's a website called Dog Training Ireland where you can have a look and find out training classes in your area. So you're looking at training then. Um, and then your next thing from a vaccine point of view is going to be your annual booster, which is at about 12 months of age. Again, then think about your tick control. So think about your going for your Brevector or your spot-ons. Um, and from your behaviour and obedience point of view, hopefully you're doing your own kind of training and exercise. And from an extra exercise point of view get yourself into a good routine even if you're working your dog needs a couple of good walks a day getting out for exercise and, and running around and, and just to get some stimulation and excitement and things like that and it'll do you good too oh and the last thing see if you can get some health insurance for your puppy so uh, definitely a good idea because if something happens that the dog is hit by a car or breaks a leg you know you can be looking at a bill of several thousand and, and pet insurance is a very good idea so go online and, and have a look there's lots of different insurers get that investigated one quick one just a brief answer to this Jerry Ivish Shih Tzu when I'm giving him a treat he won't take it until I put it in my mouth and then my he'll Lord. take it why is this says yeah, Christy he just, loves you Christy he loves yeah, you he does love you yeah they're just being a bit like they're behaving a bit like wild dogs I suppose and puppies of wild dogs and wolves and things like that in that often in the wild uh, the mummy dog would actually regurgitate food for the puppies um, so the puppy will see you as a mummy figure uh, and you're just a provider of the food so yeah so be on, feel honoured the puppy def- or the dog definitely loves you absolutely Christy let's leave it at that for today Sinead Kelly it's been a pleasure as usual thank you so much for joining us on the show thank you very much see you next month
I have to say, I'd have been mad had I not received a copy of the book we're going to talk about next. And I want to say a big thank you to Anton McGowan, who dropped it into me a few weeks ago. And we finally got round to talking about it today because his sidekick is here with him this afternoon because this book is called Traditional Music and Song in County Meath. And it's simply wonderful. And it's compiled by Anton McGowan and Pierce Ferguson. And they're both here with me today. Gentlemen, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Fault your oath. Um, Anton, the genesis of this book. Tell me about that. Well, the genesis is that uh, back along some five or six years ago, a couple of different people asked me to give a talk about the music in County Mead. And uh, essentially the music in County Mead from the 1970s, the whole revival, I had lived through it, so I knew all that. And then I said, if I'm to talk about the history, I better go back. And so I went back and I'd done a good deal of research on the county and the music in it and the movement of the music in the county. And I gave a few talks on it here and there. And that was there. That was in it. And then the book came about because uh, coming up to Fla Lion this year, uh, Pierce Ferguson came to me to see would we do a book. And I was absolutely up to my ears and I, I just couldn't <laughs> take it on. And and uh, so Pierce was determined to get the book done anyway and he kept it going. And uh, he really, he really drove the project. And, uh, you know, I, I, my involvement, my, the stuff I had in it and so on, but he really drove the project. He got additional articles out of other people. And the wonderful design that you see is something that he spearheaded and took through the design stages and the printing. So, uh, you know, it's great, it's grand having material, but it would never have got to book stage or to the book that it is had it not been for Pierce. I'm just looking at the Perry hand and love, you know what I mean? And <laughs> It comes together and it, it's perfect, the result. Pierce, congratulations to you. I just want to tell people, you were chairman of the organising committee for Fla Line, the most successful Fla Line in Athboy this year, and Anton Selnas. As well as all that, you had time to get this together. It's magnificent, may I say to you, and congratulations to you. Well, thanks very much, Jerry, and, and thanks for having us on to talk about the book today. Uh, not to have this as the Mutual Appreciation Society kind of thing, <laughs> particularly with, with, with Anton. You know, there are over 30 contributors to this book. Yes. Uh, I want to be, do a big shout out to, to Mead Library services there, and particularly uh, Kieran Mangan, who's a county librarian, and Tom French. I suppose it was only last September, believe it or not, Jerry, that, that, that we actually started discussing this book. And uh, I spoke to Kieran in the library and he said, listen, talk to Tom French in the local history department there. Uh, an absolute great guy. He's involved in Reich uh, heavily involved in it and has published quite a number of books himself, I think on poetry and, and stuff like that. So he had said that this it was an innovative idea. It hasn't been done, we don't believe, anywhere else uh, throughout the country. Uh, and from initial research that he did, we got some lovely, lovely articles. Anton, as he said, had done a huge amount of work and a huge amount of research, principally looking through the Mead Chronicles and I think the Anglo-Celt or, or its predecessor. Yes. Because, uh, let's be honest, Anton is a cabin man. Yeah. But, but we welcome everybody here in Mead. <laughs> uh, and and from, from, from that, we, we essentially uh, got the idea of, of putting a history of Mead traditional music and song from the early stages we're probably talking O'Carlin because there's not yes. a huge amount of written records Jerry mm. as you said at he's the start. in there and a, he, he's a there. great piece on him 
an, an international superstar mm. of his generation. He really, really was. Uh, but we decided to end up with Coltus and the local branches there at the moment. And it's really, really important that we've written down something, not everything, because I do believe there's a huge amount of more information out there mm. that should be recorded. So th- this is only a first stab. <laughs> It's only a first stab, and and and, and, and I hope la- that Anton will, will 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 continue it as such. The next generation, Terry, can take it up. But that's but I just want to tell people about this because that's what impressed me immensely about this book. You, it, it's underpinned by the various various cultist branches in County Mead, and you write extensively about them, and then you break it down into the instruments and the people going back historically uh, and right up to today, people who played the pipes, the concertina. Uh, the harpers are there, the fiddlers, the Cayley bands, and of course, a, a very important one that, that that I saw in there uh, was the rich song heritage of County Mead, the songs as well. So you have it laid out brilliantly and interspersed as well. Can I ask you this, Anton, because this is something that struck me. There was a Gaelic revival from about the eight, late 1880s, 1890, through to the 1930s, and then... It went off the radar, right? <clears throat> Completely. Until it came late 60s, early 70s. Why did that happen? Um, well, the Gaelic revival came from, as you say, around the 1890s. There was a big revival of Cunra na Gaelga. And Mead was not behind in that. It was quite strong in County Mead. And there were various people working very, very strong in that, in, in promoting the language and the culture. And at Boy was a great centre for the Gaelic revival at the time. There were also areas like Kilskier and Lockbawn and, and on down to Old Castle, where there were pockets of musicians and pockets of Gaelic people. And there were either pipers or fiddlers in those areas. And that went very strong for the couple of decades, right up. It was beginning to maybe wane a bit by the 1930s, but the Ariochthy were so strong through the 1900s, 10s, uh, 20s and into the 30s. And the Western culture basically came in in the late 1930s and the 40s. And uh, by then, the dance halls had got bigger, the fiddlers were not being asked to play. The fiddles were put up. The pipes were put away. Nobody was learning. So you had that kind of, um, what would I call, recession period or desert period at that time. Yes. But you would notice the strength of it. For instance, uh, going back over the decades over the Mead Chronicles, when you'd look at the Mead Chronicles in the 19 noughts, 1910s, 19, if there was an area in Lockbourne or in Atboy or somewhere, it was on the front page. And the next week you would get the full speeches in full printed in the Chronicle. And that went on. But by the 19, late 1920s, you might have to look inside the paper. Okay. And by the late 30s, it mightn't be mentioned at all. Mm. And then you came into the 40s, which was, as I say, the recession period, the Western culture took over and uh, the fiddles were largely put away, except for pockets. But the big thing was that nobody was learning because there was no demand. And it was at that time then that Cole 
Poultice was formed in Mullingar in 51 to try to do something To revive it again. But of course then, between the late 30s or the 30s and up to the 60s into 70s, there's a big gap there. There was a deficit, was there, of of, uh, players and... Well, yes, there was a deficit in a sense, like, but but there were pockets of musicians. For instance, there was a good pocket of musicians around the Trim area, the greater Trim area at Boy. And the first branch of Coltis in County Mead was formed in Kildalki in 1960 and it lasted about a year and a half and then there was nothing until 1968 when Trim Coltis was founded and then into the 70s when the teaching started other branches began to get formed and it mushroomed from there. Yeah, so the Cultus is the backbone of the revival absolutely. when it happened. And I'm sure at Cairn and the coming of, you know, the, the, the Gale yes, Talk as well absolutely. was a big help yeah. to it as well. Let me ask ask you this, uh, uh, Piers Ferguson. What's a GAA man steeped in GAA from Kells doing involved in a massive musical project like this? Well, I suppose it, it, it's down to my children. Uh, we, uh, even though I'm a Kells man, I'm now living out in Rakarn. Oh, uh, I see. In, in the heart of it. Right. And uh, absolutely blessed that, that my four kids uh, went to uh, Rakarn Local School. And they have a fantastic tradition there in, in relation to song and dance and, and just the whole Irish culture and, and language. Mm. So it, it was through that that I got involved in our local branch of cultus, Clachta, uh, uh, run ably by uh, Nora and Sean O'Leary, and who were there at the time. But it's really now Nulog Nilera and Katrina Durkin who are more or less running it and doing a fantastic job. Over 200 members. It, it's really a thriving uh, tradition. Vibrant, a- yeah. Absolutely So great. that's the story, really like uh, Greta Thunberg-esque, where the young ones, uh, you know what I mean, are, are, are putting it up to the to the parents at this stage. That's your story as well. Well, that's me. I, I got involved, but I got more involved on the administration side. Yes. Okay. I, I'm an accountant by, by, by oh, profession kind of thing. And we won't hold that against you. But... <laughs> But literally, we just got involved in it just to raise a few pounds. We, we did some great trips down yeah. down to Kerry, over to Clifton uh, and, and up to Sligo, whereby more or less the whole, whole branch more or less went on tour for a weekend. And it's really, really great for the young kids. Oh, because terrific. as Anton said, this is all about the kids. Mm. And, and while I will disagree with them to a certain degree uh, in terms of what was happening in the 30s, 40s, the 40s and 50s, you did have Cayley bands. Yes, you did. yes. You did, you yes. did have the Cayley yeah. bands and that's grand. But what was missing, as Anton said, is that there was no structured teaching for young kids. Perfect. Let's have a short break. Coming back, this book is called Traditional Music and Song in County Mead. It's superb. And we're going to tell you after the break where it can be got. And we're going to talk more about the subject matter with its authors, Pierce Ferguson and Anton McGowan. We're talking about traditional music and song in County Mead. Brilliant new book by Pierce Ferguson and Anton McGowan. In case I forget, Pierce, you better tell them, where can this book be got? Uh, this book uh, can be got on meadbio.com. It can be purchased through the County Library in Navan uh, or through the various cultist branches throughout Mead, which is Navan, Trim, Dunboyne, Knobber, Atboyra, Carn, Enfield and Ashburn. And it comes at a price, it's over 300 pages. It's a hardback. We got great sponsorship because through the flower line and it's for sale for 10 euros. If it's postage, it'll be 20 euros included. But it is for nothing, as you say. It really is about spreading the word. A tenner. It's the best value you'll get for a tenner in Ireland in 2019. And, you know, I've said this before, 
But what a lovely gift that would be for somebody, you know, for a special occasion. Yeah, There's one coming up on the 25th of December. You know that occasion that day? <laughs> yeah. We want to talk about Halloween first in the show. <laughs> yeah, out in good time for it. But that'd be lovely to send to somebody from County Mead living abroad. And I do want to say, there's a big connection in this book between Mead and Drogheda, and you bring that out in the book as well. A lot of people from Mead, uh, of the, the players and that, came to live in Drogheda and established here as well. So that's just interesting, you know, for it's, uh, the hinterland is. is covered here Yes, as well. yes, it is, because uh, Drogheda was a centre for piping, and there were a couple of the great and well-known pipers, like the Wards... Uh, Taylor, Markey, the, that lived in Drogheda, Carlin, and uh, for instance, Markey became the first teacher for the Dublin Pipers Club and yes. so on, you know, there's so great there's connections good, there. Connection I look at there. your own children in it, you know, Anya on the fiddle, Sean with the accordion, uh, Bernadette on the fiddle, Kathleen on the concertina, you know, your own yeah. clan are yeah, yeah, deeply yeah, involved yeah, here also. Yeah. Yes, they, they they are, and we tried in the book to try and capture what the present day scene is also, and to feature a bit because many of the musicians that are in Mead now are nationally and internationally known, and we wanted to capture that in the book as well, and just stamp that there for now. Yes, you know. uh, another one, Derval Finnegan, who has been a guest of mine on a number of occasions That's of this, right. a wonderful lady, internationally uh, internationally known. Also. Yes, yeah. But you know what I'm thinking, boys? I'm thinking. Um, of the great O'Carlin and I'm thinking of all the ones that you you've dug into from way back wouldn't they be so proud of the revival of the vibrance of it today yeah, in the yeah, Royal County yeah. and of you guys for producing this yeah, well, I think it got done while it could be done because mm. uh, if we waited another 20 years, a lot of that might be lost Yes, might be gone, you know. So, so important. Uh, we got a good deal. Yeah, you've put a real marker down, may I say, in history w- with this as well. Do you, just before we, we hear from Anthony, he's, he's, he's the fiddle with him, don't worry, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't have him here and not play a tune for us. The thing about O'Carlin, this connection with Brian Keenan, the hostage, caught my attention... Yes, in relation to it, uh, uh, can I just say you, were, you mentioned Derville Finnegan there? Yeah, can't, can't leave the show without mentioning uh, Anne Finnegan, her her mother, her mom, uh, and and Tony. Uh, yes, uh, God rest them as well. Both were called as Coltorium presidents, unheard of in Ireland, and is great. And they really kept the tradition uh, going very, very strong. Uh, no, there, there was uh, dur- during the whole hostage situation yes. with Brian Keenan, O'Carlin was key to him to keep him going in relation to it and, and, and he was able to, to, to do the tunes and various things in his head and talk about O'Carlin and how how, how just difficult he had with O'Carlin was blind so on and so forth but you know, he got over his, his so shortcomings. So Brian and in a way, uh, lent on O'Carlin and his story and his history while in captivity. Correct. To sustain him. One of the things that sustained him. Correct. And and, and in, in relation to it, what Anne Finnegan has done in relation to the whole uh, O'Carlin branch, uh, which is the, the cultist branch up, up in Nobber, uh, is absolutely fantastic, keeping it alive. And they have the, the O'Carlin Festival, at which Brian Keenan was, was was a guest of honour there in, in 2000, Yeah, so you lovely pictures in the book. Fantastic there. pictures yeah. there and pictures of the chieftains and, and, and various things. And, and that's, you know, a testament to the people within County Mead and myself and Anton were talking about it earlier you, you know how, how does cultists you know keep going keep getting stronger it will ebb and flow in different areas but it is largely down to families it is mm. down to the McGowns like Anton here or the Smiths or someone known it's down to the O'Leary's in, in Rakarn it's down to the Finnegan's in, in Nobber it, it's, it's down to families like that 
traditionalists who don't ask for anything, but really culturally give a huge amount to the um, country and the brilliantly, country. Brilliantly, brilliantly said, Piers. And the other thing, back to the Cayley Bands, we're going to hear from Anton in a second. How many Cayley Bands did you tell me at, at, at its peak, I, I, Wither and Meath? Yeah, I think that in the 40s, 50s, there were up, up, over 20, up to 25 Cayley Bands of different sizes playing in Meath. Like, you had a few big ones, like you had the Lynch Brothers in Old Castle, you had the Emerald at Slane, you had the O'Growney in Atboy. And then there were a lot of other smaller Cayley Bands serving just the, never travelled very far those bands like the Emerald and the Lynch Brothers travelled everywhere around yeah. Ireland but you had an awful lot of other smaller Cayley bands that played locally. What a tradition, yeah. come on play locally for me now. <laughs> Boys congratulations I, again because we're going to play out uh, with Anton, traditional music and song in County Mead, you heard where it's available it's brilliant I'll say that just to leave it for today. It's brilliant. What are you going to play? Thank you, Jerry. I'm just going to pick two little tunes. There's a, a thing in the book. There was a folk collection done in 1935, uh, the, the school's folk collection, and the school teacher in Mayahar. Uh, Mary Collins sent in a list of all the tunes that were played by the old musicians in the area and there were great old common tunes still played to gay so just two little jigs Father O'Flynn people might remember the song from the 78s and Saddle the Pony
think it's about a year ago. She'll correct me if I'm right. Around about October 2018 at that time, Helen Dwyer joined me on Late Lunch and she had a fantastic story about her career. But she was just opening a new b- boutique on the south side of Drogheda called My Generation and we had a very interesting conversation. So it is time to catch up, but listen to this. This is the woman who's styling Miss Ireland, Chelsea Farrell, who you know really well. Welcome back to Late Lunch, Helen Dwyer. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for jo- and. What can I say to you? Tell the story because Chelsea came to you. Yeah, Chelsea came to me about two months ago. Uh, she um, had been to a few boutiques around. She lives, She's from RD, as you know. Yes. So she'd been to a few boutiques around RD and I think she hadn't gotten much of a reception to mm. help her be styled for the fashion shows and the events and everything she had in the run-up to uh, before she won Miss Ireland. Um, so she came in and we offered to style her. So we've styled her for the past two months for all of her events. And I just, I felt like... When she won, I was in tears because I just got to know her so well as if, you know, I've, I really felt for her and I just couldn't believe she won. Well, I could believe she won because <laughs> she's a fabulous person. She Never is. mind being beautiful. But you've won too because, you see, sometimes you take a chance, yeah. don't you? And you yeah. say, OK, let's go for this. Yeah. But obviously you made an impression on you from day one and you went the whole hog and here you are styling Miss Ireland. I know. And her mum has said that I really have the essence of what Chelsea is and what Great. she likes to wear. It's appropriate for her age. And the great thing for me is I wasn't getting that age group of 19 to 30 year olds into my shop until Chelsea started coming in and being photographed and going on Facebook and Instagram. And has that made a difference? It has brought in that customer. Which so fantastic is for me. Just brilliant, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. just brilliant. Yeah. So you're off on a journey here. Will you be styling her for the Miss World? I'm hoping to be. Um, she is. I'm going to talk about my event that I have coming up in a while. But yes, um, the idea is that I will style her, especially for events around Drogheda. Great stuff. So you've made her yours and she is now wearing my generation. She is. Yes. She is. Go back to last year and you go off on this because like you've had vast experience with Dunn stores with Tesco and you told me all yeah. about that before and you decided, you know what? I'm going to go my own way now here. Listen, you've gone into a space that is cutthroat. And and in a way, people are disappearing doing what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm hearing that all the time. But I would say, given what I have done and what I decided to do, I was very prepared for it. I had my business plan written. I put myself 24-7 into it. When the shop door closes at six o'clock, I'm in the back doing my paperwork. You're on social media. You're constantly going. But if you love it, it doesn't feel like work. And in the short five months of opening, I was nominated for Boutique of the Year by RSVP and there was 12 finalists. I couldn't believe that I got nominated when I had just opened my shop. And then a couple of weeks later, they put me forward for Businesswoman of the Week. So there was a whole article done on me on that. Um, And they've also asked me to partner up with them in a Galway fashion roadshow. So I'm going to be styling women in Galway and um, being interviewed by RTE's Jane Patrice, James Patrice as well. Brilliant. So there's a lot coming up. There's loads going yeah. on for you. Yeah. But obviously business now is motoring along. You're picking up new yeah. customers. I know you have a core of customers that you talk about as yeah. well. But people are coming from far and wide. Yeah, I have. So originally when I opened, and I'm not going to be humble about saying this, the shop is beautiful and people thought that that meant I was expensive. They kind of shied away from it. I had the older customer um, coming in, um, people that had maybe had a little bit more available income to spend. Um, I was missing that 
20 to 30 customer. Communions came around and suddenly there was a, f- a flux, an influx of mums looking for something. We did a great job of making sure nobody was dressed in the same outfit. Um, but I've I've actually become a stylist, which is very strange because I never thought that was something that was going to happen. <laughs> so the shop is absolutely flying. I have loyal customers. I have new customers coming from Dundalk, Malahide, you know, um, the further reaches of Meath. Um, so I'm absolutely flying at the minute. It's a great news story. And you know something, when you put in the effort, effort, hard work, hours equals success. And I don't have to tell you that you know it well. Um Beyond this, and 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 I, I've been reading about you. Are you planning another outlet? Are you, are you seriously considering developing the online aspect of the business? Both yeah. of those, both of those are in my business plan and my my year two, probably towards the end of my year two. Reason being is I want to make sure that what I'm doing is I'm giving myself giving it a hundred and fifty percent. If I try to spread myself too thin. I don't want to fail. And I think sometimes people try to run before they can walk. So, yes, I would love to open another shop. That is definitely in my plan. We'll have to see what the bank says. Um, But I'm confident that I could do it. And the online part of a fantastic team behind me in the shop, Mary and Pamela. um, Pamela would be somebody who could run the online side for me with her eyes closed. So that is something that I'm definitely looking at into probably in the next six months. So there you are. I was little old you. Now it's the team. And that's the important thing. And it's so important and, and it's great to have those ladies with you. What's the plans for the 4th of October, Friday the 4th of October? Yeah. What's happening? So it's not just about celebration of the success of the shop. It's about... Is that the anniversary? It's the, well, the anniversary is actually the 10th. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing it on a Friday night. It's going to be an uber, uber glamorous night. Um, it's about celebrating the customers that have supported me from everybody from 18 to 80. And um, we're going to have a drinks reception. There's going to be a fashion show. Um, we're doing a beautiful display outside in the catwalk, a catwalk, if you so like, that's in, in the South mall. Gate itself. In oh, that'll be lovely. Great help from my neighbours, Sheena, Jamie and Ray in Southgate. Um, so we're quite a community up there. Um, there'll be best styled. Now, what this means, rather than best dressed, I'm looking for ladies to come dressed in a My Generation outfit. Now, two people could arrive in the same outfit, but it's about how you style it. And I have new Irish designer, Vivian O'Connor, who I'm one of the nine boutiques in the, in the country. In fact, the only one in the northeast is going to pick the winner. And the winner is going to win a Vivian O'Connor dress worth oh, 275 euro. Beautiful. I also have prizes from Closet. So a dress in every size for you. Um, and I have loads of little spot prizes and things. But it's about glamour. And don't worry if you're not a customer of the shop. Please come up, have a look. It's going to be a great night. And again, it's Glamour with a capital G. So please get dressed up and make a night of it. And hopefully, you know, there'll be a Prosecco reception. We might run around to do Andy for a couple of drinks after uh-huh. to celebrate. You, you mentioned the designer there. What's her name again? Vivian O'Connor. Oh, she's well known. Yeah, yeah. Vivian is well known. Yeah. But for you, sourcing for the shop, yeah. is that about looking at new designers, different designers? Or yeah. do you have ones that you prefer to go I have. To? So I have my top sellers. Um, but what I have found is um, customers are, are telling me constantly what they're looking for. So I take that into account. Like I've seven new designers launching next spring and two of those are Irish designers. So I'm going bigger with Irish designers where I can, but I want them to be affordable. Now, the Irish designers tend to veer on the side of occasion wear. So I'm trying to make sure that I support those designers as well. What else is happening? So um, the next thing coming up, um, obviously, is... 
4th of October being the, the biggest thing. Um, on the 15th of October, I'm going to take part in a fashion show in Tankerstown by two guys, Mike and Paul. I think you might know them They're well. joining me ahead of that, actually, right. on late lunch. Funky fashion frolics, That's, the boys um, themselves. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that event is still available. There's still tickets available. Um, really looking forward to that because I know that's going to be a glamorous night. Mm. And then after that, I have um, RSVP, the, the roadshow, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it's go, go, go. I literally, I take Sunday off, but to be honest, I'm on social media all day. So <laughs> there's no such thing as a day off, but I love it. I love it. We need to sort you out on that. But I, I know, I know, sure it is. It, it's when it's yourself and your own and your baby are at it seven days a week. Just to go back to Chelsea for a moment. Uh, this suit they're all talking about. Yes. Tell me about this. This was, what was the context of this? If you were going for an interview, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was. So Chelsea came in to me and she said, I've been asked to get dressed for an interview, but it's got to be sexy, formal. So I said, I have the suit for you. Um, the suit was bright blue and pink check. Um, it actually stood out so much that the producer rang her afterwards to ask her where she got the suit. And the suit is now nearly sold out. So, And I wouldn't mind totally different age groups that bought the suit. So from a girl in her 20s to a lady in her 60s, you know, so the suit has been really, really popular and, I mean, Chelsea wore it so well. So I was looking at an interview you did in uh, quite recently and talking about the icons, style icons that you, you admire. And you mentioned Vogue Williams, uh, you mentioned Amal Clooney uh, as yeah. well. But you mentioned another lady yes, in that interview. Yes, I did. The most important one. Uh, my Auntie Tess, she's my grand aunt. She's 101. <sighs> she came into the shop for the first time um, on her 101st birthday which was a couple of months ago, back in um, June. She bought a couple of items and she just straight away knew what she likes. She is immaculately dressed all the time. And from a very young age, she was buying me dresses and outfits and she used to take me into boutiques and shops, kids' boutiques at the time when they, you know, I suppose, existed more. So, yes, she is my ultimate. and one. Yeah, and she's flying. And that woman has class and oh, style yes. to beat the band. Yes, she does. So what I a, hope she's listening. <laughs> uh, I, hope, I hope she is listening to us. What a fantastic woman she is. But it shows you, you know, from, you mentioned 18 there to 80, 18 to 101, you should have said, and beyond. Yes, I should have, yes. You can be so stylish and it's it's part of of being a woman, isn't it? She makes an effort every day with how she looks. And it is important because I think if you look good, you feel good. Yeah, and that is what she, she is the personification actually of that when you say it. Um, Just before you leave us, uh, congratulations again on spotting a winner and backing a winner and and reaping the rewards now, which you thoroughly deserve. And congratulations on your first year as well. Just in general at this time of year as we head autumn time, you know, now what's happening? What should we be looking at? What should ladies colour wise this? Colour wise, yeah. Well, sparkle is back in. Yeah. Um, they're going into cranberries and golds especially and silver um, my Christmas range is starting to come in and it's I have to say it's fabulous but it's not just about the dress or the jumpsuit I have beautiful tops I have beautiful trousers I have price points from 50 euro to 350 euro so everybody there's a there's a budget there for everybody's mm. Pride or for everybody's pocket. And that's like. easy. I mentioned autumn it is now, but of course you're looking ahead. You have the Christmas yeah. season oh, spring before is we bought. know it. Is spring done already? Spring is done. Spring you have gets to be bought six months in advance. That far ahead. And baby pink and baby blue are the colours taking over from lilac next year. 
for 2020. So, yeah. Spring yeah. of 2020. Yes. Watch this space. Yes. They are the colours to watch out for. So, so anyway, just to remind people again, the 4th of October, Friday the 4th, is the big night up in Southgate. And you wanted to say I one just, more thing? I'd like to thank um, one person in particular, but obviously the usual. My family have, have helped me. My friends have all jumped in and worked in the shop where I needed them to. The Chamber of Commerce never knew what they did. It's been amazing to me. There's one lady in particular, though, that I have to thank. She's actually a customer and she's an ambassador for my generation. She tells everybody about it. She's been a mentor to me. She's been a massive help. You know her. And her name's Grani Lally Black. And we're becoming really good friends. And I want to say a massive thank you to Grani. <laughs> she's Grania. a great woman. And I say yeah. hello to her this afternoon on the show. Yeah. I admire you so much. Congratulations. It's well thank deserved. You. And my generation, we'll have to play the song for you tomorrow. Yeah, you know, the will. song that's your oh, theme of course is right. I do. Yeah, we'll it's dig it out theme. for you tomorrow and play it and dedicate it to you. But best wishes with the 4th of October. Congratulations on your first year and continued success to you, Helen Dwyer, and my generation. Thank you for joining me on thank the show. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks a million. That's a lot on late lunch for this afternoon. Back with more late lunch tomorrow, midweek Wednesday. See you then. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.